You are listening to SequelCast 2 and Friends, part of the Tokyo Beat Podcast Network. Everybody across the land, here's a special from SequelCast, though I don't know what it's gonna be about. Maybe Woody Allen, maybe Spike Lee. Hello and welcome to SequelCast Special. Uh, this uh, podcast we are talking, I mean, an in memoriam episode on an actor that um, passed away recently. He was, I think, someone that was pretty influential in all our childhoods. It's uh, Paul Rubens, uh, you know, by far best known for um, doing the Pee Wee Herman character on uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse, and they did uh, three films based on it. But he also did a lot of work in. Um, television especially but also in film he was in movies like a uh, low and, and appeared in, in tv shows that you know were mainly comedic but also had serious parts in uh, shows like the blacklist and um all kinds of other you know showed up in like 30 rock he just shows up in all kinds of different things here and there according to internet movie database over uh, about 122 credits um, to say nothing of thing of documentaries and so forth, where he appeared in and talk show appearances. Uh, I'm your host Matt Bradley Shirley. With me is Thrasher <laughs> and Alex. Make a like a high, make a like a high, ho. Very good. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think. I guess we can start with the, when the first time we saw uh, Paul Rubin's work. Uh, I mean, for me, it would have to be Pee Wee's Playhouse, but I, I was, um, my family was living, uh, uh, I think, in Argentina at the time, and we didn't really get, the TV we got in English was only, um, you know, CNN, basically. But our one of our grandparents would tape Saturday morning uh, programming off of the TV and then mail it to us every few months. And uh, so what we had was, uh, and some of these was just happened to be Pee Wee's Playhouse, and it was um, the one nice to get stuff in uh, our native language English. But the other thing was, I mean, just just the imagination on that show. And I I've gone back to revisit some clips, and it, it's just a fun, a very imaginative show. I mean, I think the only thing that kind of works on two levels, sort of, since then, you could maybe compare it to SpongeBob SquarePants in some ways. We got a lot of weird stuff going on. That yeah, I can see that very, very zany and you know, zany, kind of not really specific demographic. It seems to appeal to all ages. Oh, you just, but you know, it's not like as gross as something like Ren and Stimpy or yeah, trying trying to be edgy. There's I don't no know if I humor. Yeah, well, it really, it really was a a almost tragically hip show that that everyone in the family could enjoy on some level, and I. I 
I remember enjoying the heck out of it when I was a little kid. And like every 10 years, <laughs> I revisit the show and watch a few episodes and I still get something out of it. And I notice stuff that I didn't get uh, that I didn't notice in, in like my previous viewing. Like it's it's hip, but it's not too hip. It's kitsch, but it's not too kitsch. It harkens back to it, it harkens back to children's entertainment styles that were that had pretty much died out and often for good reason. And yet <laughs> they made it work and made it something worth watching. It's basically Mr. Rogers on acid. Like the really other good acid. The other thing I like about it, it has this sort of kitsch pop art aesthetic, but so much of the show is homemade. Like, even as a kid, you're watching it like, oh, yeah, I could probably build these puppets. Yeah. I could probably do this show if I if I wanted to. The strings are just barely visible on screen. Like, you're still aware of it. And I think that has a lot to do with it. Oh, yeah. Like, like, the puppeteers are good, but they're not too good. So, yeah. so, like, again, as a kid watching it, you're like, oh, yeah, I could probably rise to this level. Because I think it's like when we're in the uncanny territory, when you watch like Muppets and stuff as a kid, because they, they move really intuitively and everything. Here, you know, it's like you can tell like the guy misses Q and he's like, hey, dinosaur, do you want a bite of my ice cream? And it's like, eh, you know what I mean? It's a little off and everything. And, and that's part of the charm. And I think like one of the things that makes Pee Wee's Playhouse work so well is that there's like no sense of irony and everyone there is on the same level. Like, it's not like when you have, like, someone who doesn't like SNL hosting SNL. It's like, you know, Lawrence Fishburne and Paul Rubens are on the same show, and they don't, both know exactly what they're doing. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, yeah, this is... This is a, a kid show that has that has Lawrence Fishburne, who would go on to become one of my favorite film actors as I grew up. But then it also had Phil Hartman. Yeah. Yes. It had oh, the no. glue. Yeah, well, Phil Hartman, I mean, they... I mean, I guess... Before we get into sort of his uh, history, uh, Alex and Thrasher was the first time you saw Paul Rubens. Was it in Pee-wee's Playhouse as well, or was it something different? I would say it was a tie between Pee-wee's Playhouse and uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. We both had them on VHS, and we watched them a lot. The thing, my, my first conscious memory of Pee-wee Herman was on Pee-wee's Big Adventure, but I feel like... I must have seen Pee-wee somewhere before, most likely in like a talk show appearance or something, because I remember no, like with the first time I saw Pee-wee's Big Adventure, I know that I knew who Pee-wee was and I was primed for that character. I And I can only assume that's because my my parents, you know, my, my mom being, you know, an artsy type and my dad liking to laugh, they were just kind of hip. So I can only assume they must have showed me something Pee Wee was in before that, which may have been, oh, you can't sleep tonight, kid? Well, here, we're watching The Tonight Show. Pee Wee Herman's going to come on. <laughs> it, it had to have been something like that. Yeah, it was it was funny because, like, with the, with the show, I remember, like, I used to watch it all the time when I was a kid, and I wasn't, like, falling over laughing. So revisiting it as an adult, I was like, huh. And I'm thoroughly engaged i don't peel my eyes from the screen for one moment and i'm into it all the way but like i'm not like haha that was so funny i'm like that's really silly and weird and fun and it's just like like you were saying earlier it is such a fine line that the show walks because it's not trying to be like overtly funny or comedic and it's not trying to be overly cutesy or your kitsch it's just its own thing and you just get kind of lost in it i think that's like the best way to describe it just you get lost in the peewee's world you know well, it's, it's, yeah. it's a, another way it's kind of an ideal children's show is that it's not trying to be educational, 
but it still taught the audience things. One of the signature bits um, was the secret word, where at the beginning of every episode, Pee Wee Herman would get the secret word, and the running gag was, if somebody says the secret word, you had to scream real loud. And you better believe that, like, me and my siblings, we would continue to hold the, the we would hold the torch of the secret word for the rest of that Saturday. Oh, totally. But- Pee Wee! Morning, Clunky! What's today's secret word? Today's secret word is look. You all know what to do for the rest of the day. When when anyone says the secret word, scream real loud. But the thing is, you'd get the secret word. They'd say what it is. He'd hold the card with the secret word up to the camera so you could see how it's spelled. And I was really struggling learning to read around the time that Pee Wee's Playhouse started. And part of me really thinks I was able to pick up some foundational spelling things by just having Pee Wee hold up that card and being able to comprehend the letters because it's on screen just long enough. Yeah, you can like you can read it, even if your comp- reading comprehension is kind of low. Um, and then and, you know, the other thing and, and that wasn't the only kind of educational thing, but that's like the only like repeated every episode educational thing. The other thing about Pee Wee's Playhouse is it would parody itself. <laughs> like in yeah. the in the the first episode of the second season, because, you know, they established the secret word. The first episode of the second season, when he goes in to get the secret word, he just pulls out this ridiculously long car that says Zizzy Baluba. <laughs> and and then there's a reason for that. And the whole episode is this weird meta thing about aliens watching Pee Wee's Playhouse. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how they understand Earth is the only context they have is Pee Wee's Playhouse. Play? <laughs> that's amazing. Oh, right, the thing I, I mean, love... oh, oh, sorry, you go. Um, well, I mean, that's a good point. I forgot. I mean, I remember the magic word, but I mean, yeah, you had so much educational content uh, that was like, actually mandated by the government at that time um, for uh, around the time, you know, Pee Wee's Playhouse and all that stuff in the late 80s, early 90s was out. And Pee Wee's Playhouse, you know, delivered it in a way that wasn't dogmatic. It wasn't, I mean, there's nothing wrong with, you know, reading Rainbow or National Geographic or all those specials. But those were sort of didactic, like we're going to learn. Here's a big thing on this focus. But I think by having something that's, you know, mostly entertainment that happens to have educational values, sometimes that... Uh, that that stuff sticks a bit more. Um, you're going to say something, Alex? Yeah, the uh, the other thing about the word, uh, the secret word gag, which I I think I took away the most, was that it's it made it completely okay and acceptable in my mind to lose your shit and get incredibly excited over absolutely nothing. <laughs> and like I remember, like if my parents or my brother would say a certain thing with a certain inflection, we'd just go ah. <laughs> It'd be well, like, here, go make a sandwich. We use some. Bread. It was like bread, ah, you know, and that's just was part of the daily routine. Well, I think that's another reason why both kids and adults liked it is that the the creators of the show understood that children had a lot of manic energy that in a lot mm-hmm. of contexts can be very annoying, but in other contexts can kind of be delightful in the sort of thing you look back on fondly. Uh, and and this was this this was a show that sort of transubstantiated all of the annoying traits of childhood and turned <laughs> them into something you could look at and go, oh, you kids. You true, know, like like true. like if I like if something happened and I went, oh, my gosh, my parents would be would be ticked off. But if you know, if if somebody said, 
oh, cheese. And I would, that's a secret word. Ah, <laughs> everyone would fall over laughing. <laughs> I know. It's like, that. It, it made it okay to, to get that annoying kid energy out of your system. And, right. and it made adults find it delightful. Yeah, I think it's like, um, the, you know, the difference between like babysitting and parenting, you know, like you can keep up with that manic energy for two and a half hours, not 24 hours a day. <laughs> another, another thing, speaking to the educational stuff, the, whenever they did, edu- like whenever they did educational stuff, even when it started to become overt, it was always a little thing that like a kid could do like, oh, we're going to have snack time. And then there's just mm-hmm. a little four minute segment where like they show you step by step how you make ants on a log. Right. Which, you know, gr- like, like growing, like growing up, I was not taught to cook. I had to like demand to know how to cook because I was really curious and like, yeah, like there, there are kids who are going to learn to feed themselves because they saw this because it's never occurred to their parents. Oh, we should show our kid how to like use a cutting board. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I mean, was it Nickelodeon? No, was it Burger King or Nickelodeon? One of those that had sort of the um, catchphrase where a kid can be a kid. Yeah, right. And, yeah, and that, that sounds about right. And that makes me think of the, the Pee Wee Herman stuff or just, you know, give you permission to be silly and it was fanciful. And like it didn't talk down to kids, but it didn't talk down to adults either, which is a really difficult line to walk. And although there's, I mean, it wasn't, Muppets in it exactly, and I mean, also even the the I was listening to um they did a rebroadcast of uh, Paul Rubens on um, Conan Needs a Friend on Conan O'Brien's uh, mm-hmm. podcast, and he talks about uh, even naming everything. They just had E at the end in the house, right? <laughs> Cherry, mm-hmm. uh, and all those things, and it's like how how a kid might name something without giving it much thought and then the character of peewee also could be a bit of a, a jerk and he would learn from that too he wasn't like flawless or or perfect he was um impulsive certainly um uh, but that and uh it also you know showed really old cartoons when the king of cartoons would come by that's yeah. something you wouldn't see elsewhere and it just kind of showed you sort of a different kind of um sense of humor and it wasn't about cartoons pushing toys i mean although there was certainly a lot of peewee herman merchandise uh although to to paul rubin's credit when it came to the the peewee herman merchandise because there was some there was a talking peewee doll my little brother had that there was like puppets of a lot of the characters there was like a little stage model of the peewee herman set that you could interact with they were they were all like interactive toys they were all things that like a kid could really interact with and play with um and like he didn't he didn't shell he didn't sell candy he didn't sell fast food like it's all it's he he it was all stuff that wasn't bad for kids yeah which is (laughs) which is rare when you think of all the stuff that spongebob gets slapped onto and it was the toys themselves the toys themselves were a bit bigger too, like the older, um, like a Barbie or a GI Joe or something like the old ones. Yeah, they had a were, real retro like sizing to them. They weren't just like mm-hmm. action figure size. They were like like the, the talking Pee Wee doll when you stood it up is like a full foot tall. Yeah, oh, but yeah. speaking of the king of cartoons, there's there's two things I love. Two things I love about the the, the king of cartoons that only gets better as i age one is that the king of cartoons had an attendant who was this 
this kind of essentially a coded lesbian taxi driver who played the trumpet who I just, I love that combination. But then the other thing about it is the original King of cartoons um, was played by William Marshall. Who's the original Blackula. Yeah, that's totally right. I knew, ah, that was driving me crazy. Cause Mm. I was like, who the hell is that? I know I've seen that face and he is a great actor too. Oh yeah. Yep. Um, well, I guess to sort of more of Paul Rubin's kind of history, how he got started, he initially was he was born and initially raised in uh, upstate New York, but eventually moved uh, with his family down to Sarasota, Florida, where um, I've been quite a bit because that's where my grandparents lived since the early uh, 90s. Um, there's only one of them left, but they still live down there. And it's known for having uh, Ringling Brothers basically started a, a school down there where people would train to be part of the circus and you could go and see kind of a simplified version of the circus of kids sort of practicing their stuff for shows and uh-huh. um, the, the tightrope walking and, and things. So uh, I think that's something that I don't, initially I thought he went to, to class there, but maybe he didn't, maybe he just sort of um, attended there. Uh, but I mean, it's one one celebrity that did go to that school there. It's literally sort of a clown college. Was Steve-O from Jackass? Because um, there's well, just so few, uh, um, you know, programs that kind of cater to that kind of curricula. Well, actually, speak, speaking of sort of the origins of Pee Wee and the beginnings of Paul Rubens' career and his and his love of kitsch. So Paul Rubens was in the improv comedy troupe, The Groundlings, who a a lot of people you like have probably gotten their start there. And that is where the Pee Wee character began. He was in a he was doing a Groundling show, the improv show in the 70s, and he was given a prompt. And the prompt was the man who will never succeed in show business. And he just (laughs) came out doing the Pee Wee laugh and running around and like not focusing on anything and just kind of doing all the foundational ticks of the Pee Wee Herman character. And the audience exploded. It's like, Oh, well, I like this works. So I guess I got to refine it. And that, and refining it is, is how he kind of created the Pee Wee Herman character, this sprightly, asexual, grown man who nevertheless has the personality of a five-year-old mm-hmm. yeah i mean among others people he um met and made friends there was uh, john paragon who uh is better known as uh, john b the genie and yes um, and also the director of twin sitters yes and, and also voiced the terry the pterodactyl um uh, and also you know phil hartman as we mentioned earlier who was um on the show, but he also helped write the the movie and helped develop the uh, the character and Cassandra Peterson, who's better known as um, Elvira. Yes. And they were all at the Groundlings at the same time, um, and they all uh, tended to act together in some of the early Cheech and Chon movies in very very small parts. Oh yeah, and, and that's and that's one of the fascinating things about Paul Rubens creating the Pee Wee character is that yeah, Paul Rubens did a lot of acting. Half the time it was. Pee Wee Herman was the person doing the guest spot and it would be credited yeah. in the credits as Pee Wee Herman, not Paul Rubens. It was like hard for me to wrap my head around that as a kid. Cause like we'd watch something and Paul Rubens voice, he did a lot of voice acting as well, or would you know, be playing a different character, you know, and they'd say like, Hey, look, it's Paul Rubens. I'm like, who the hell is that? They're like Pee Wee. I'm like, 
Pee-wee's Pee-wee. <laughs> he can't be anything <laughs> that's not Pee-wee. So, like, stop lying to me, basically. Yeah, Which and is I, the uh, mask. I didn't get a chance right. to to see it, but uh, partially because the, the clips they have on, um, on Peacock tend to be pretty chopped up. But on uh, Saturday Night Live, Paul Rubens uh, appeared to promote um, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, but he didn't appear as Paul Rubens. He appe- appeared as a Pee-wee Herman. Yeah, Pee-wee so Herman it, hosting yeah. Saturday Night Live with the most perfect Pee-wee Herman musical guest, Queen Ida and the Bon Ton Zydeco Band. <laughs> oh, yeah, that can't be a... No, no, no. I, yeah, that yeah, had to be scheduled. He had to yeah. be involved with that. But Pee-wee was, um, you know, he he played Pee-wee in all the sketches, which, you know, that hasn't been done since through a whole episode where an actor plays a character consistently in different things on the show. Um, I mean, the, the Pee-wee's, uh, I mean, I think the first, you know, big Pee-wee thing other than him sometimes being his Pee-wee in the Cheech and Sean movies is on HBO or he had a stage show that was turned into a, an HBO special, the Pee Wee Herman show in, yeah. uh, in 81. Yeah. And it, and, and it was, I mean, the, the template of this show would eventually become uh Pee Wee's playhouse and no less than three. And this is the thing about the Pee Wee Herman show. I rewatched it uh, yesterday, uh, just kind of in preparation for this show. And because I hadn't seen it in a while and wanted to reconnect to it. Um, the Pee Wee. So the Pee Wee Herman show, uh, when Pee-wee's Playhouse got big, no less than three times in my life, I would be somewhere and an adult would rent the VHS of the Pee-wee Herman show and put it on to entertain the kids. And no less than three times did I see the adults in the room become horrified when they realized how adult and not kid-friendly the <laughs> Pee-wee Herman show is. Doesn't he smoke pot or something in part of it? It's been a while, but... He he doesn't smoke pot, but he does smoke Captain Carl's pipe. Uh, There's also, (laughs) like, this is the one time, this special is the one time you'll see Pee Wee Herman, like, actually, like, horny. But, but it's, like, in the, but, like, he's constantly trying to look up people's dresses. That's, like, a running gag. Yeah. That's in it, and... And there's a bit there's a bit where he brings out this puppet. He calls it Dr. Mondo, but the puppet is the old kitsch toy Hugo, the master of disguise, where it's like a torso that you put attachments on to mm. disguise it. But it has this weird look in its eyes. And the idea is he will use the puppet to hypnotize a volunteer from the audience. And what does he do uh, is that he has them strip on stage. <laughs> the crazy thing, too, though, is like if you watch Pee Wee's Playhouse and the Pee Wee Herman show live, like. The level of energy, he's not assisted by, you know, like visual effects and green screen or any special effects of any kind. It's literally just him, his other actors and some props. But the energy is still the same, if not actually higher when he's live, because he's really, really, really going into it, which I think really is a testament to his ability as a performer. When it was nice, he he later kind of revived a version of it in uh, 2011 called the Pee Wee Herman show on Broadway in a toured around the United States. Um, I didn't get a chance to see it live, sadly. Um, so I did. Oh yeah. I was when it, when it, uh, during like during its, its original run on Broadway, I was lucky enough to go up there with my whole family went and we, and we all saw, we all saw it live. It 
it is amazing. Like, it's a good show to begin with, and, like, it's it's expanded a bit. They sort of synthesized the best elements of the original Pee-wee Herman show and Pee-wee's Playhouse into one overall huge stage experience. It's very entertaining. He's just projecting so much energy from beginning to end. It really is infectious. Uh, and, like, see, like, as funny as he is on screen, when you see him live on stage, he can just do, like, a little tick. And you just start chuckling, mm-hmm. even if the tick itself is not necessarily meant to be funny. It's just meant to lead into some other part of the performance. And it was really good. And one thing that stands out, though, uh, is that, of course, you know, it's a Broadway show. You're not supposed to take pictures. You're not supposed to, you know, shoot video. So a, a person sitting a few chairs down from me got ejected from the theater for taking a picture. What did he mm. take a picture of? The Penny mm. cartoon. Hmm. The, which one? The Penny cartoon. Oh, the pigtails, right? Interesting. Yeah, the pennies for eyes, the little stop motion character. Mm. It was, it's so, it's, it's like, really, that's the thing you risk getting kicked out of the theater <laughs> for. It's the cartoon that they recycled from the TV show. <laughs> yeah. That's... Oh, the other thing I, I like about it is in both ver- both versions of the show, it ends with Pee Wee getting to fly because he makes a wish. And in the live stage show, like they actually have him flying on stage, but it's this weird like puppet suit he's wearing that his head is sticking out. And they do there's an old magician's trick called the black art, um, which is how they achieve the flying effect. Uh, it has nothing to do with the devil. Don't worry. Um, mm-hmm. But if you know how the black art works, you can kind of adjust your eyes to see through it. And the way they did the flying effect is he was in that little puppet suit, but he was on top of one of those rolling hydraulic lift rigs that was just kind of going back and forth slowly on the stage, going slowly up and down. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it creates an amazing effect. Nice. Right. And you, um, when they did that newer version of the show, instead, you know, originally Phil Hartman was in as Captain Carl, and uh, Captain Carl would be uh, weirdly not in the movie, but um, on the TV show now and then. And so instead, in that part, they had Cowboy Curtis. And they did offer it to Lawrence Fishburne, who uh, didn't do it, but he tried to suggest them to cast his son, who's also an actor. But instead, they went with Phil Lamar, who was on Mad TV. Uh, voices Hermes and Futurama has done a lot of voiceover and just just really captures that the look of sort of the in the energy, which was fun to see. Um, as you mentioned, you know the elements of the TV show being kind of done for the updated version of the uh, the stage show. I think oh, was I, pretty good. Speaking of Cowboy Curtis, something that that I absolutely love. Uh, so. Like, there were loads of black cowboys in the Wild West, but you wouldn't know that based on most Westerns. And yet, in the Pee Wee Herman universe, Cowboy Curtis is this consistently African-American cowboy. I'm glad you brought that up. There's a good um, story I was stumbling upon in my research where uh, John Singleton, known for, you know, Boys in the Hood, and um, he passed way too young, but he, you know, writer-director... Uh, he was a production assistant really, really early on in his, I think his first gig in the business was on uh, Pee-wee's Playhouse. Oh, wow. And he, would, and he would just check people's ID and stuff. And he just made a point of how Paul Rubens was so nice to everyone, but he made it so it was a very um, diverse cast. There's people of color, not just uh, on screen, like, you know, um, Cowboy Curtis and King of Cartoons and um, 
the the male lady and stuff like that. But also behind the scenes where we had camera people and focus pullers that were diverse, and that was due to Paul Rubens being insistent on that. And that right. was unusual at the time. And I think, uh, especially behind the scenes, that's still pretty unusual today. So uh, he, uh, in, in some interviews, Singleton was mentioning how that really uh, made a good first impression on him where it's it's hard, even though he had sort of, you know, a little kind of job where he could, you know, be overlooked or maybe other places or treat him poorly, they always sort of welcomed him like he was part of a family. And that was something he kind of uh, took with him through his career. So I thought that was pretty neat. Very cool. Yeah, that's like the other thing, too, is that you never got the feeling that they were, like, trying to do a thing, you know? It's not like they, like, got into, like... Not that I remember anyway, you know, like it wasn't novel. They didn't like emphasize the like racial dis- difference between Pee Wee and Cowboy Curtis. It was just Cowboy Curtis is here. You know what I mean? Like the democratization of everyone in the show is, I think, a testament to its uh, sustainability. Yeah, and I mean, like, in a way, uh, Mr. Rogers did some of that same stuff sometimes. Uh, yeah, but they would like get real, you know, like they talked about like the Martin Luther King assassination. True, true, like true. Right. Um, uh, Segregated swimming pools and stuff. But like, uh, they, um, yeah, the swimming pools, that's right. But the whole thing with like Pee Wee that I like is that when I was a kid, I remember if something, if I got a whiff of something being aimed towards me, I completely pulled back. You know, it's like, oh, watch a kid's cartoon. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm not watching a kid's cartoon. That's shit. You know what I mean? And then it was like, Pee Wee's on. Like, that's cool. Cause I know he's not trying to do a thing. He's not trying to trick me into liking it. You know what I mean? <laughs> And, and I mean, just speaking of, you know, liking things or not, Pee Wee as a character often wouldn't like things. It's not like he was super polite or, right. you know, oh, that's gross. Or, I mean, again, reacting. I don't like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like like a kid does. Or there's the Pee Wee Herman uh, Christmas special with the net food and cello and stuff where Pee Wee is just a jerk. <laughs> and he wants to have all the presents for himself. And he kind of, <laughs> you know, learns a lesson at the end, at least for that episode. And um, that's something oh, we saw years ago when I think all the all the Huey stuff was popping back up on Netflix because, of you know, kind of like the Batman 66 series, there's all these rights issues that prevented it from coming out on home video for a very yeah. long time. So it was when it all came out, it was um, nice to see that it was on uh, a Netflix, a service that a lot of people um, have and, and uh, can, can enjoy all that stuff. Um, easy. So what, one last thing I want to mention about uh, the, the Pee Wee Herman show, the original and the, the revival uh, on Broadway. So there's – and you mentioned like Pee Wee, especially in Pee Wee's Playhouse, could be disagreeable and kind of angry and rude and, and thoughtless the way a kid could be. But he would, but he would always come around to like, you know, you know seeing, seeing the air of his ways. But something that I love – and it's because it's a very like no, – there's nothing cynical about the character except in the Pee Wee Herman show where the, the there's a thread through it where you know when Johnny the genie makes a wish he wants to make a selfish wish to be able to fly but instead he makes a wish so that captain carl and then later you know cowboy curtis could have a relationship with miss avon but then there's this the whole threat the whole arc of peewee from that is how he's sad because he did the right thing and didn't get rewarded uh-huh. And <laughs> and then the climax of the of the of the show is that they realize, oh well, you didn't need to make that wish because we already liked each other. We just hadn't said it, so the wish doesn't count. 
So I guess the wish didn't get used up so Pee-wee can, can get the wish to fly. And then all the characters sing a song about how great it is that Pee-wee Herman gets to get his way. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it is such the exact opposite of what any deliberate children's entertainment would do. Yeah, that's right. Awesome. I think before we get into kind of stuff that happened where it's kind of like a, you can clearly delineate his career kind of like before Pee-wee's Playhouse and after Pee-wee's Playhouse. Um, a major gig he had was doing, uh, you had a, a Star Wars ride at uh, Disneyland called well, Star, Star Tours, Tours, yeah, which was uh, a huge deal. And it was one of those, um, they actually have a pretty good show and sort of the, the making of it on, um, on Disney Plus somewhere buried and all that content. But it was based on the technology used for kind of uh, flight simulators, but the, it's a, uh, a theater where it kind of pivots and simulates, oh, you're you're going to, oh, you're falling down, you're going up, you're crashing into things. And he did the voice of uh, Rex RX24, a uh, kind of the robot that's panicking as you're, you're flying around. And he later reprised that same character, albeit with a slightly different name, because there was an established character called Rex on the Star Wars Rebels cartoon for an episode. Yeah, he, he has shown up voicing that robot. I think I I believe that robot has also shown up in the Bad Batch and, and Rubens provided the voice for that as well. Uh, I I think so. And and on the new um, Disneyland, Disney World, uh, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge thing, he does uh, reprises a little bit for that where he is repurposed as a DJ at the um, cantina. Hmm if you get reservations to go eat in that section. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, that's that he got to be involved with some star. Also another kind of early thing he did that wasn't Pee Wee was a um, flight of the navigator as a voice of max. Yeah. He voices. Yeah, the thing, that's, right? that's a fascinating performance because the Flight of the navigator, that's one of those rare kids movies that isn't afraid to scare kids. And it's a very, weird movie because it's about a kid from the 1970s who takes a shortcut home and falls into a drainage ditch and when he crawls out of the drainage ditch it's 1985 it's like the middle of the 80s and and like 10 years have passed and no one knows why but at the exact same time there's a ufo has been captured and is in a bunker in an air force base and it's all weird like the first half is all just weird disturbing mind-bending like sci-fi stuff or like him meeting his parents who are now very old and meeting his younger brother who's now like college age and and all this stuff but then he finally gets on the ship and finds out that the ship has something to do with his time displacement and then he has this adventure in the ufo and the the computer intelligence that controls the ufo is voiced by paul rubens and it's sort of this slightly it's not quite the Pee Wee Herman voice, but it's sort of pitched up. Hello, my name is Max. And like, it really does, his voice sounds like an alien computer trying to communicate with the human. And then there's a turning point because there's like alien information in the kid's brain. He scans it, but then accidentally scans like snippets of like the kid's own memories and like things from TV and whatnot. And at that point, the, the computer might as well be Pee Wee Herman because he has that same energy and, and, and all that. But it's it's a great puppet and like so and the puppet can barely like make any expressions, this robot puppet. But the voice brings so much personality to it. 
Davy. If you want to learn to swim, you've got to jump in the water. Don't forget to feed Bruiser. To all these patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions, onions, sesame seed bun. Whoa! <laughs> this can't be happening. I think I've gotten some stuff out of your head that has nothing to do with navigating this ship. Um, so in the 80s, there was, aside from the, not counting the, the TV special as a movie, right, there was the Pee-wee's Big Adventure, directed by uh, Tim Burton, um, which is just, you know, really, really fun, zany, iconic kids kids movie, and but um, or movie, rather. and uh, But the follow-up, I actually have never seen all the way through, is Big Top Pee-wee. Have either of you seen that one? Um, so I, long ago, I barely remember it, so I can't really uh, speak on it. I've seen it a lot, which is weird because it's a movie that I don't like and I didn't like it at the time. Yeah, I, I think well, I never saw it is I just never liked the circus that much. I did get the chance to see Ringling Brothers Circus in person once when I lived in the Washington, D.C. area oh. and it was in town. And it was the circus just like smelled terrible. And it was yeah, just fuck felt, clowns. Yes. And just in person yeah. just felt so desperate. I mean, see, seeing like the the. Um, students and stuff practice it in the uh, circus school stuff in Sarasota, Florida. Like that's kind of fun. It's more casual and it's not, but the, and just the vibe in person, I just found very depressing. <laughs> What's well, so weird. Cause like, like big top, big top peewee. It's, it's so straight. It's a movie that does not seem to know how to use the peewee Herman character. Because he's already a heightened character, and a circus, even if you're trying to show a circus realistically, is still a heightened environment. But it's like a circus that a hurricane drops in, like, a Dust Bowl town where Pee-wee lives. And, like, Pee-wee as a character is sort of out of time, but he exists in the modern day. But Big Top Pee-wee, I don't know when it's supposed to take place. It could <laughs> take place in 1900. But then there's this weird thread where Pee-wee is like a... Uh, a scientist who's like using mad science to grow giant vegetables. And he has a talking pig that Paul Rubens, I think also voices. And it's just, there's too much weird stuff surround. There's so much weird stuff surrounding Pee-wee that Pee-wee just kind of gets lost. Yeah. And that's really saying something that like, there's too much weird stuff around Pee-wee for him to get lost. Cause this is a character constantly surrounded by weird shit. Mm. And it usually is wonderful, but yeah, I, I, it's weird. I remember Pee-wee's Big Adventure was awesome. Then Big Top Pee-wee happened, and I'm just like, this isn't Tim Burton. This isn't Pee-wee. I don't get it. I'm not into it. Yeah, it also doesn't have any of the stylistic flair that Burton brought to the original. Yeah. Or, who, I wonder who scored it. I guess we'll have to look that up on the old internet there, Pilgrim. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it's, um... Danny Elfman, let's see. Let's see there. Big Top Pee-wee, 1998, Pilgrim. Music, uh, it is no, Danny Elfman. How about Danny that? Okay. Well, how about that, oh. Pilgrim? Danny Elfman. But directed right. by Randall Kleiser. Oh, I love the work of Randall Kleiser. Well, they did fly to the Navigator, and I did <laughs> oh, speak highly of that. <laughs> Grease? Honey, I blew up the kid. Return to the Blue <laughs> Lagoon. Ooh, the Blue Lagoon. La, 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 la. Wait, Return to the Blue Lagoon, that was the one with, uh, I think, Mila Jovovich. Oh, the original Grease! No, yeah. he did the the Blue Lagoon. Oh, the, the, oh, the I see, the um, first The Brook Shields. Yep. Banging so, on an island. Um, in 91, Paul Rubens was uh, arrested in Sarasota, Florida, and it was a big um, 
scandal and what I think was interesting is he uh, didn't really do uh, what a lot of celebrities would have done at the time with scandals, which is kind of going to Oprah, going to all the talk shows, talk about it, apologize, make it a big scene. He just sort of dealt with it um, as privately as he could for, for being such a public figure. And he he still acted in, in stuff afterwards. It just took, um, but it was sort of in, in mostly sort of smaller parts. And he did eventually bring the Pee Wee Herman character back, including not too long after the scandal, he was at the MTV Movie Awards is when he appeared first in person as Pee Wee again. With, uh, and he worked with Bruce Valanche, who was uh, Bruce Valanche was sharing some stories on Facebook about it. And, uh, and they just had, had to have like, just like one or two lines that would work. And what they ended up going with was heard any good jokes lately. What <laughs> he said, which is well, just, such a Pee Wee line. Though. Oh, it, it it is a peewee line, and just the audience is clapping. So, like, just the, mm-hmm. the love of the audience for the character is just the, really something to see in that clip. The, the scandal thing I find interesting, and the the analogy I use is that this is up there with, like, the Hugh Grant scandal, right? Is that yes, you're, a famous, one was, you're yeah. a famous notable person, right? And you want to do something that you could get away with when people don't notice you, which is, you know fap in a porno theater or you know have intercourse with a prostitute um you know tom dick jane and bill can get away with that because they're not hugh grant or paul rubens <laughs> but when you're Hugh grant and paul rubens people are going to notice you in a porno theater and you'll get called out for doing what a lot of other people do in porno theaters um i don't condone that because it's icky but hey you're not hurting well, anyone um it's, it's pretty it's innocuous a- well, it, well, yeah, it's innocuous, and this is one of the things because because it really was a turning point in his career. Because as I understand it, he was under contract to do the like Pee Wee's Playhouse had been renewed for two more seasons, and he, this was like between like filming and between filming like the this was after the last season had wrapped before filming the next two seasons. And this kind of derailed that because I think the network was embarrassed and they were worried about fallout from the scandal. And, you know, you know, he's sort of entering obscurity after that. But the one thing, the thing that I remember as, as a kid, this was probably the most open my parents were like discussing any like sexual matter with me because Hmm. I just remember my parents just like, like when all the information came out, my parents being, Oh, well, he masturbated, which is normal. Like, why should we shouldn't make a big deal out of this? Right. Well, and, I'm glad they took a healthy approach to um, and how they discussed it. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't. Dumb, they didn't dumb it down. Like that was their thing. Well, like he masturbated in a public place, but a public place where people go to masturbate. This is silly. We shouldn't worry about it. That right. was kind of the 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 the, the stance mm-hmm. that they had. And like and looking and looking back, yeah, that's probably that's probably the right stance. Like the. Like if if he had masturbated anywhere else, I probably would be grossed out. But but no, this is this is one of America's few remaining adult <laughs> theater. I, I think too, like the the mug shot certainly was out in the news a lot. Um, I remember as a kid with him with longer hair and scruffy face and looking not like Pee Wee at all. And I think that he was um, known for this character that was uh, had become a successful um you know saturday morning kid show i think kind of 
didn't um, help things exactly. With, yeah. I, I think they kind of made the scandal seem like more of a big deal than well, the Pee-wee it was. The Pee-wee character was so successful. Like, I can totally see a disconnect where people don't realize, no, this is a human being. And when he's taking a break from work, he kind of lets himself go a little, as we all do. Right. Yes. Today's show is brought to you by Epos Gaming Audio. With a comprehensive lineup of both wired and wireless headsets, gaming amplifiers, microphones, and webcams, Epos has everything you need to experience the power of audio like their H6 Pro lineup, which features two versions, an open or closed headset. The closed headset allows you to tap into exceptionally detailed audio and seals out ambient noise while the open version delivers natural, high-fidelity audio with an incredible soundstage. Both headsets include a magnetic detachable microphone and a sleek design that has no wild RBG configurations. Just good design. Listeners can save 15% by visiting www.eposaudio.com gaming and entering code EPOSFRIENDS15 at checkout. Spaceships! Magic swords! Intergalactic empires! Dead gods! And creatures from beyond the moon! What Mad Universe could contain all these fantastic visions? What Mad Universe is a bi-weekly podcast delving into the misty origins of sci-fi and fantasy, pop culture and genre tropes. Take a cosmic trip on What Mad Universe Podcast, now on the Tokyo Beat Podcast Network. Um, I mean, so, so after that, Tim Burton did, you know, cast him in some stuff and he was in, he continued to, to work pretty consistently um but he had a very small part as the penguin's father in batman returns it's under a lot of it's under you know makeup and he's wearing glasses and it's kind of it's not a speaking part it's a blink and you miss it um well and, and, the, and the and the uh his 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 wife the mother to the penguin is the same woman who played the waitress he has the relationship with in Pee Wee's big adventure right yeah, and the, so and the other nuts thing about him playing the Penguin's father, he reprised that role on Gotham. Oh, cool. Yes. Yeah, yeah there, there was like a three or four episode story arc where he comes forward and turns out that he's the Penguin's father and he try and he connects with the Penguin and like he makes the Penguin, he turns out he is like a billionaire and he makes the Penguin the heir to the family fortune, cutting out the rest of his family. And then they're like, then like he dies under mysterious circumstances. But it's so delightful to just sort of see him in a monocle aping sophistication. Right. Oswald, don't you see? I am your father. And, and, and he plays it. He plays it camp the way a lot of things on that show probably should have been played. Oh, the funny thing too is that like I've seen Batman Returns like a thousand times, and like it wasn't until a few years ago I'm like, oh shit, that's Paul Rubens. Um, because like he does kind of like I love that like Rubens can just kind of like get a little lost in these movies, like doing a voice of a robot or something like that, or blink and you miss it moments. Like he's not gonna be like, you know this like big prominent showcase thing, but it's, um, I love that he plays like these kind of like low key cameos and supporting roles. Yeah. And really, I think the biggest, cause like he, he did like, he did like bits and pieces and some voice work. You know, he has that turn as the vampire with the greatest death scene in the world in Buffy, the vampire slayer, <laughs> like that, that bit where he gets staked and it takes him forever to die. And he's just going, Ugh! Oh <laughs> yeah, that's right. Ugh! Yeah. There, there's so, uh good there's sort but, of bloopers at the end of film at the movie with that we should mention that's the buff and the vampire slayer movie not the tv show the movie came oh, first and he he reprised 
um, basically that same character in, I think it's the first season finale of what we do in the shadows where they had a lot of actors that played vampires in movies and TV just come on and be part of this vampire council. Oh, that's cool. Nice. But like some other bit parts he did, he was in, he like, he, he had cameos and like Dunstan checks in uh, a movie that is better known for its title than its actual content. The- he, uh, he was in nightmare before Christmas is locked. We did an audio commentary for that. Uh, Fife in beauty and the beast, the enchanted Christmas, like his really oddly enough, like his, you know, for lack of a better term, comeback role was in Mystery Men, where he played the farting superhero, the spleen. And I remember that was that was like a big part of the film's marketing is like, oh, Pee Wee's back. He's playing a superhero. Yeah, yeah. Mystery Men didn't do well. I, I saw that in the theater only because my friend and I wanted to see um, Blair Witch Project, I think, came out that same weekend or around then. Oh, yeah. And but that was sold out, and it was back in the day where you didn't have to order your tickets in advance. Mostly, right? You could, you just had to. Most of the time, movies just didn't really sell out. Yeah. And uh, but Mystery Men was funny. We enjoyed it, and I like that movie. Yeah. It it is much better than its reputation. Definitely. Yeah. Um. I mean, one one kind of more uh, a later part Paul Rubens did that sort of surprised me. That was more. Uh, serious, not, not a big part, but it makes an impression as he plays a, a Derek in Blow, the the Johnny Depp kind of based on a true story movie uh, about um, George uh, Young um, being involved with uh, drug cartels in the, the 70s and cocaine, as the title implies. Um, and he's just a, a creepy, uh, I believe drug dealer or something. It's been a while since I've seen it, but it just was like, oh, oh yeah, that's Paul Rubens. I know he's doing, you know, a part that's quite different. And yeah, he's he just... like a pretty prominent character in that movie. Mm-hmm. But just the the variety of um, TV shows and sort of mostly like independent movies and stuff he's in. He just was sort of all over the place doing different stuff. Uh, I never saw the Batman Brave and the Bold cartoon, but he played Batmite in that. Is that something you've seen, Thrasher? Yes. Uh, so, the so yeah, he plays Batmite in Batman Brave and the Bold, and, and specifically, he's in the series finale, and it's the perfect, like, role for him because he plays this sort of enthusiastic childlike character, but with a healthy injection of cynical asshole fan ranting on the internet. Uh-huh. And the and it's a brilliant, very meta final episode because the final episode is Batmite is watching Batman Brave and the Bold. It's like, well, this is great, but I think I'm ready for a darker take on Batman, a darker take on the Dark Knight, not this kid cartoon stuff. And so it's all about Batmite sabotaging the show to get it canceled so that Batman can be rebooted to be darker and edgier. I'll use my fifth dimensional powers to make the show so bad it won't just jump the shark. It'll do a quadruple spinning backflip over it. The network will have to take it off the air. And there's a lot of meta jokes. Uh, they, 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 some of which are very like pointed to the toyetic stuff that Paul Verhoeven would talk about. Um, but to save Batman, uh, ambush bug who knows he's a comic book character enters the cartoon to rescue Batman from Batmite and ambush bug is played, um, uh, is played by the Fonz. Uh-huh. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I, I, 
I, Henry Winkler. He's played by Henry Winkler as doing a very oh, just just my usual voice, and it's and it's really fun. And it has one of my like my favorite scenes in all the Batman media, where you know Batman's like, "This is great. The audience must be really turning against this show now." And then they <laughs> cut to a father and son watching the cartoon, and the son says, "Well, this isn't as good as it used to be." And then the mm-hmm. dad says. Yeah, but it is still pretty good. Uh-huh. And then this kid goes, yeah, let's keep watching. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Funny. Yeah, I mean, he did what, some funnier die stuff. He was on an episode of Comedy Bane Bane as Pee Wee Herman. Uh, oh, yeah. I I liked him in, uh, I think I mentioned this at the start of the show, but in the show, The Blacklist, he was Mr. Vargas for a five okay. episode run. It was kind of a Russian mobster. Yeah, and I thought I was going to like Blacklist, but I couldn't get into it. I got into it to a point. It just kept on going and uh-huh. sort of stretched. Like it's a good concept to a point, and then it just kind of grew a bit long in the tooth, I thought. Um, hmm. But he's he's good in that. Uh, did either of you see on uh, Netflix did eventually do a, a a third Pee Wee Herman movie called Pee Wee's Big Holiday in 2016. Yes, and it's yeah, everything I, I wanted that. a Pee Wee sequel to be. Yeah, I mean it's more like the first film. It uh, they you know used um, the computer to make Paul Rubens look a bit younger. Although I think he he kept his youthful appearance mostly. I mean he always seemed to keep in shape and stuff but it has that kind of it's directed by john lee who who did um you know wonder and and some stuff like that before so it, it keeps kind of the the whimsicalness of um of the original it was also written written by paul rubens and paul rust uh judd apatow was the was the main sort of producer and creative force pushing to get it made oh cool Music by Mark yeah. Mothersbaugh. If you can't get Danny Elfman, you can get Mark Mothersbaugh. Yeah, there you go. That's a oh, very no, good, viable good successor. And you, um, I mean, one thing I thought was a little bit too bad is for years, uh, Paul Rubens would do the talk show circuit talking about, he had a script for a third Pee Wee Herman movie where um, Pee Wee Herman has a run-in with a monster that represents fame. And it was oh, sort yeah. of a, a darker film. And that never got made. I think he kept on pushing would, for that to get made, and instead they went in the direction of this Pee Wee's Big Holiday idea. And he he wanted to go back and do his idea with the Fame Monster one, and maybe you'll see it as a comic or as a cartoon someday. After, now that he, um, he's passed, unfortunately, but that would have well, been neat to see. I'll try not to talk too much about Pee Wee's Big Holiday because I do think this is a trilogy of films we probably should cover at some point. Yeah, but but it's I found it I found it to be very satisfying. It uses the character very well. I like that. Uh, it, it it took the structure from Pee-wee's big adventure that works where he's sort of traveling and has little vignettes everywhere he stops. Um, I love Joe Manganiello playing himself. Uh, but one thing, but talk about the, the dark, the dark Pee-wee movie. Like that, that is such a fascinating like meta concept that I, I really, I would love to see the script. Cause yeah. Cause like the, essentially the idea was it was about Pee-wee Herman becoming famous for being Pee-wee Herman and being chewed up and spit out by the Hollywood machine, but still being Pee-wee Herman while like going through all the beats of a tragic celebrity biopic. Oh wow! That sounds yeah, pretty... I think 
it, right. I think the idea is sort of, um, it was actually very inspired and it's not, I can see why they didn't go with it. Cause it's a, certainly a harder sell, but he, I mean, he, he would go on David Letterman and all this stuff for years and say, Oh, I think we're really close to getting this one made and, and all this stuff. And it just, um, for whatever reason, just never quite came together, but I'm glad he did, you know, come out with something at least with the Wee's big holiday. And, uh, he also had, you know, appeared in some of the in one of the SNL digital shorts with Andy Samberg. He did some funnier die stuff as uh, as uh, Pee Wee, which was nice to see. And, yeah, and if you it, and like, I think like the last like the last you know feature film he did was like Pee Wee's Big Holiday. After that, it's pretty much all cameos and voice performances for television. Which I can only assume that's because that's when he started to fit, uh, fell ill. Yeah, and the way he, I think we talked about a bit about this in the um, chat offline, but yeah, the way he had uh, died of uh, cancer, I believe, and but he didn't really make it public, didn't really share it with anyone, which I think is a really sort of um, old school way to go about it, where instead of, I mean, again, it's like how he handled the, the scandal in the 90s, but instead of going on the talk shows and making yourself come off as a victim and, oh, poor me, you just sort of keep it quiet, and then when it happens, it sort of shocks everyone. You know, when it, the the cause of death comes out, it kind of shocks everyone. And um, I think in, in a lot of ways, it's sort of a more admirable way to go about it as opposed to just making it all about yourself and doing this sort of dog and pony show in the talk show circuit. Yeah, I mean, it, it did. I know it certainly came as a complete surprise to me when I saw the obituary. Yeah. Um, gee, I mean, what, there's been a lot of. After he died, you know, just a lot of people tweeting and a lot of um, interviews and stuff of people talking about it. I um, I mean, I, I recommend people do check out that um Conan needs a friend where before they rebroadcast the episode from a few years ago that Paul Rubens was on, uh, Conan O'Brien kind of shared some of his stories. And I guess if you uh, were a, a friend of, of Paul Rubens, as Conan O'Brien was, when it was your birthday, uh, he would, Paul would just assault you with, all, not assault, that's not a good word. Um, he would just send you all these emails with memes and bad jokes and everything all day. Ah. For it being your birthday. That's awesome. And Conan mentions uh, looking around on his computer, and he just happened to stumble upon this file that was a, a video for his birthday that Paul Rubens made him. That was sort of a personal message, but he didn't, that he didn't um, happen to just overlook before. That was from last year. And he said awesome. he saw it, got really emotional, and he said that was nice. Um, and there's a lot of, if you look on, on YouTube, I guess he was on Cameo or some of those services where you pay money for the guy to make a, a message for you. Oh, and wow. I was watching some of those uh, th this past week, and it's just a lot of real personal, really nice messages where, yes, sometimes he's doing the Pee Wee Herman voice, but a lot of times he's just sort of talking about himself and, oh, I know you're a fan and all that. I mean, it's just really sweet to um, cool. to see those things, and it's other people pay a lot of money for him. I think it's it's cool that people share them too if they want to. Um, it's kind of a fan thing. And if you're going to do something like that for, for that much money, 
uh, there's people in retrospect I wish I would have done that for. And I, I, I think in a lot of ways, it's something more personal than paying probably that same amount of money, if not more, to get a photo with them at a convention, which really isn't much of an interaction at all, right? I mean, they right. I don't know if either of you have done that, but it's a real, I mean, they just have you in and out like in five seconds. Like it's a real, yeah. uh, a real kind of machine they have going there. Yeah, I've never done that before. Um, I always feel like like the chance encounter or like merit based like celebrity encounters are much more interesting to me. Yes, and um, God, I mean the one of those that I I normally don't freak out that much, or, or but the one that it, it's not like I freaked out in public, but afterwards I just had a hard time processing that was I was at. I believe Rose City uh, Comic Con in, uh, in in Portland, Oregon, and um, Cato Kalin was there from the O.J. Simpson trial. I'm not really sure what he was promoting, and oh, it was wow. so strange to see him in person because he was on television so much. Yeah, maybe he had a bit part in a new trial coming up. <laughs> uh, yeah, possibly, or maybe it was a reality show, or because I think he did a few of those. Um, but just to see him in person was so strange. And like, yep, that's Cato Kalin. And my friend was like, hey, Cato, and nodded, and uh, which I think is kind of a cool, uh, kind of a understated way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not like he had an entourage or anything, but uh, yeah. I'm always kind of... But it sounds like, Alex, with your job and just kind of where you live, you kind of have a lot of um, chance encounters. Yeah, a lot of people have like you know second homes or it's a big tourist destination um i know i've 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 told the gene shallot story um i ran to jeffrey jones i talked to him briefly who was very nice despite his issues that would happen later um and i waited on get ready for this daniel craig and rachel wise and they were very lovely pleasant people with a good sense of humor and his eyes are that blue. I can tell you that much. That is that is not CG rendering. Those those are very steely blue eyes. So just almost distractingly blue. You can tell it. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, geez. Well, oh, Thrasher, you heard your story of what you met Stan Lee outside of a convention center, right? Oh yeah, she took his hand and he said, "Okay." <laughs> <laughs> As only Stan Lee could. Yeah, I guess, I guess the one with this topic that um, that stuck with me this just because of how strange it was. There used to be, it was a shame it, it didn't last for, for that long. They only, it was in town for a few years, but they had something called the Bridgetown Comedy Festival and um, in, in Portland, Oregon. And at the time, I lived off of um, uh, Hawthorne, um, which is a kind of a big kind of street in uh, outside of the city a little bit with all these weird shops and bars and things. And uh, you could walk up and down and just see shows all weekend. And anyhow, I was, we were at the bar getting a drink before uh, our next show. And next to me was happened to be the comedian we were seeing Mark Marin. And I liked his uh, podcast WTF, but I didn't know what he actually looked like. So I didn't recognize who he was. And he said, Oh, is this, is this place any, that pizza, this place any good? the food any good? And I ignored him and they tapped me on the shoulder. Hey, this place, I'm talking to you. This place any good? And I was like, oh, it's okay. Uh, you know, the pizza place across the street is a little better, but they're both kind of shitty. <laughs> Which, 
And I could have been a bit nicer about it, but I was being honest. And he's like, oh, okay. And he left. And then he didn't ask you, who are you guys? What? He didn't ask you, who are you guys? Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, right. He didn't go, uh, who are you guys? Are you in the thing? I, I, I heard you like the thing with the guys. Yeah, uh, but no. Um, and I, and the reason I didn't recognize it was him was well, one, he didn't have a show on uh, his uh, you know, that sitcom Marin, or you know, there wasn't like the Netflix uh, with that wrestling show on Netflix he was in. Um, glow, yeah. Glow, glow, I'm still, yeah. I am still upset about that cancellation. Right. Um. But all I knew what he looked like was the logo of it's still the same logo, I think, of his show. And it doesn't look that illust that cartoon drawing of him doesn't look like him at all. So it was uh, when he was on stage doing the show, of course, it was very funny. We saw him in a few different locations. And then later, uh, it might have been that same day. We saw a show later that night that he was also at. They would tend to do showcases where the comedians would go on. And he was outside of the theater, kind of freaking out, like, uh, "Well, I don't know about these crowds, man. Portland's a pretty rough crowd." Um, and that the crowds didn't laugh a lot, and but in Portland, I think the crowds try to be difficult on purpose, or like they tend to be really bad with the catcalling stuff too, or the kind of screwing with the the host, uh, with the comedian on stage, which is too bad. Yeah, but, but my interaction with Jeffrey Jones was that. Um, he was doing something at Shakespeare and Company, I think, up here, and um, I heard I could hear his voice over the over the telephone. Mm-hmm. I was like, "I need fourteen sandwiches for very hungry actors." <laughs> and the woman who took the phone call I was like, "That was a very odd way to place an order." And he came to pick it up, and I recognized him immediately. Just that very iconic voice, mm-hmm. and I at the time had no idea about the scandal, and. Oh. I, I I was sitting there checking out and I was like, I'm sorry, I don't do this very often, but I would like to thank you for your work in Deadwood. I, uh, namely, I really like the interactions uh, between you and Ian McShane when you find out mm. that the, the gem saloon and this newspaper office are connected. And he was like, oh, thank you very much. And also very interesting you mentioned that there were many more of those scenes, but they were cut for runtime. He's like, that was one of my favorite parts of the show as well. And I was like, oh, very cool. Well, take care of yourself. And that was about it. So back to Paul Rubens. Yeah. Yes. I have to wonder, Thrasher, you've been at so many conventions that, um, you know, whether you're running LARPs or uh, you're um, selling merch and stuff. Did you ever go to a convention that Paul Rubens was at? Because he would do that circuit sometimes. No. And uh, regrettably, I never did. If it, if I did, I probably I would have gone to get something signed. Absolutely. But no, like mm-hmm. I was never at a show where he did a uh, did a public appearance. So my my only live context interaction with him was the Pee Wee Herman show on Broadway. Then with the the Pee Wee Herman show, was it that was kind of a shorter one? It didn't have an intermission, or no, or anything before the show started. I don't remember. If, uh, I mean, it didn't. It, there was like no like pre, there was no like opening act. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't I don't recall if there was an intermission or not. I. I don't think so, but it could also just be that the show had so much energy that I blocked that part out. Right. And, uh, I mean, looking at all the stuff he did, there's just a lot that I never saw that he was in a lot of some voiceover, some not. He had a, he was on an episode of uh, pushing daisies. 
Um, oh, oh, the Thirty Rock appearance. Did you see that episode? That was an interesting one. He plays. Oh, which one was that? Yes. Oh, where he, he plays, plays the like inbred Austrian prince. Yes. Or something. Yeah. <laughs> Gerhard. <laughs> it's very again like creepy but funny, and again kind of a nice nod to he was one of the first people in the Groundlings, as we said, and for yep. that to Thirty Rock to kind of tip the hat to that was um was pretty fun. <laughs> oh. But actually, so, so speaking of some Paul Rubens minutia, he was the original voice of Roger Rabbit. Really? Whoa. Yeah, well, I mean, he's not, he didn't show up all in the movie, but in the, in before Spielberg got involved, the back when it was going to be a bit truer to the, the novel that it was based on, uh, they did a bunch of test animation and they oh, brought yes. in Paul to do the Roger Rabbit voice for all the test animation. Oh, cool. I guess presumably they would have had him play the character if that version of the film had actually gotten made. But by the time Spielberg came in and it became the movie that we all know and love, he was busy doing the doing the Pee-wee's Playhouse and probably wasn't available. Oh, wow. Very cool. But you can find the test animation uh, online. It's really interesting. He he brings an interesting energy to that role. And though he does like a, a, a very heightened cartoon voice, it is not the Pee Wee Herman voice. It, it is very much its own thing. You understand? Oh, yes, sir. But wouldn't it be more helpful if, if I started to, get, to, to came along with you? Maybe because what, what, what if maybe you got you to get into some, some more locks or something? Ah, uh, okay. Neat. Well, I guess, is there any last um, Paul Rubens thing we want to talk about? Uh, the only th- main thing I want to talk about is that at, at the height of the Pee Wee Herman character's fame, he did a lot of in-character uh, talk show appearances, particularly uh, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, particularly Joan Rivers absolutely adored the Pee Wee character and would have him come on as Pee Wee mm. a lot. And I went down a rabbit hole of just watching his talk show appearances, particularly with Joan Rivers, and they are just great. There is a there is a uh, this was when Joan Rivers was guest hosting the Tonight Show. She did a Halloween episode, and the guests are Pee Wee Herman and Doctor Ruth uh, and Elvira. Oh, nice. And hmm. it's just everything you want from all of those people being interviewed by Joan Rivers. Uh, although there was another really great uh, talk show. Like, there's a great bit where Pee Wee's just pulling different candy out of a bucket and just riffing on the candies. Um, but there's a bit um, that he did on another appearance with Joan Rivers where he had brought out a toy a telephone. And then Joan Rivers brings out a real telephone. It's like, oh, you know what? We should do prank calls. Oh, and nice. so they start. They start calling L.A. night spots and trying to see if they can get famous people at the night spots on the show. Oh, my God. That's great. They they actually succeed, but it's like a drag performer. And Mm -hmm. it's absolutely hilarious because, like, they're typically it's like concierge, not uh, not concierges. Who's the person who Mater D's? It's typically Mater D who are in way over their heads when it's Joan Rivers and Pee Wee Herman trying to get them to find hand the phone to a famous person. <laughs> but then when the when the drag queen comes on, she's just totally hip to it and starts immediately riffing with Joan Rivers and Pee Wee Herman, and it's really good. Nice. Fun, yeah. There's um. I mean, the, what, there's a clip I saw, oh, might have been the 80s, 1987 Oscars, something like that, where uh, Pee Wee Herman is on stage 
and uh, Ed 209, um, the kind of bipedal <laughs> robot from uh-huh. RoboCop, comes to attack Pee-wee, and RoboCop comes from the audience to save Pee-wee Herman. What? And there's all kind of pyrotechnics. It's very bizarre. Only in the up. 80s. Yes. It's, um, I think Pee-wee does fly a bit in it or something. Uh, it's, yeah, but as it, it's very involved. I was sort of surprised people were wow. sort of showing that clip online. And I'm like, that's, that's the last combination again, I would expect, but Pee-wee, you can kind of put them in anything and it just sort of works. Well, you know, there, I don't know if y'all remember, there's a, there's a, a late eighties or early nineties oddity. I don't remember exactly where it came out, uh, back to the beach, which was it. A revival of the Frankie Avalon and Annette Funicello beach movies, but the premise is they've aged in real time and now they're adults and now they're going back to the beach with their son to have a vacation. And it's and a lot of it's about how they don't really fit in a beach party environment anymore, but they're still trying to bring that same fun energy. There's a great live music bit with uh, the band Fishbone where they they sing a song oh, to explain fun. what ska is, <laughs> and it's. And it's the least, well, it's Jamaica ska, so it's a lot slower than the ska you're probably familiar with, but it still has the same structure. But Pee Wee Herman, there's like, there's like, yeah, we're going to go to a concert on the beach. And they go to a concert on the beach, and it's just like a cover band. But then they start singing Surfin' Bird, and Pee Wee Herman comes out and <laughs> sings Surfin' Bird and does all these weird dances. It's everything you want to do. But then... He gets on a surfboard with handles that's clearly meant to evoke the bike from Pee Wee's uh, Big Adventure, and he flies away. Not like on cords, like Star Wars. It like rises up and he like blasts off into outer space. (laughs) And and, Hmm. and the energy of that, it's great. It's a high point of the movie, but like the energy of that scene is so different from the energy of the rest of the film. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't realize he made so many uh, appearances like that. Um, gee, yeah, there's that with the SNL digital short thing he did with Andy Samberg, where they decide to just drink a lot of shots, and then they start attacking cops and mm-hmm. Anderson Cooper for some reason. It's um, bizarre, but it was fun to see those two uh work together and it's too bad they didn't have him back for another full episode of snl instead just having them pop up in a clip but yeah i mean i think i think we'll see more of peewee one way or another i don't know if they'll do comic books or, or what but that character is so iconic i can imagine it coming back in some form or another it's one of those things, like, I could totally, with the right cast, I could totally see bringing the Pee Wee Herman show back, like, as a tribute uh, to Paul Rubens. You know, you just got to find the right person. Although maybe maybe you do it like that one Bob Dylan movie, where, like, every scene you just have a different hmm. person playing <laughs> Pee Wee Herman. Right, yeah. Um, that that would be kind of interesting. Like I just I just hope it doesn't become too crash and commercial. If the character comes back, I hope that it stays weird and sort of out of time. Totally. Yeah, and I think that's part of why it works because you don't you know, Pee Wee doesn't make a lot of pop culture references. He does always look like a man out of time where he's well dressed, but then he has the bow tie, he has the 
the the voice the the, um, the pants are just a little too short the pants are a bit too short he's a bit you know his um he's hyper he's just sort of all over the place there is a this is we wrap things up here i read a this story that was interesting where it was uh i guess cory feldman was was filming uh, the goonies or something and as he was walking around the studio a lot when they were, they were doing all the, the pirate ship stuff, um, he sees a, a man with a, a wig reading a paper and he uh, just sitting on a bench and goes, Psh, kid, come here. I'm Pee Wee Herman. You know who that is? And he takes off the wig and stuff. And uh, it was Paul Rubens talking to Corey Feldman. And um, they, they talked, I guess, they talked about Pee Wee's big adventure and, and the role of the neighbor kid and he was trying to get Corey Feldman to to play that part, but um, but he couldn't. And I think in retrospect, I don't think that would have necessarily worked because what works so well with the Pee Wee having the annoying neighbor is the annoying neighbor is also played by an older person acting like a kid. Mm-hmm. Oh yes. So it's kind of like if Pee Wee Herman was bad. It, it it's a uh, Mark Holton as Francis, right? But it's like if it's like if Pee Wee Herman was like bad, that's who that would be, right? It was yeah, kind of, of like the flip side of that same sort of gimmick. And if it had an actual kid playing the part, it would have made Pee Wee seem like a real jerk. Right. It, they, it would bump. Yes. Well, I, I suspect that I, I'm sure Paul Rubens. There's some film of Paul Rubens in the can, uh, so we're probably going to see him crop up in in something. Uh, within the next year or two, as things get out of post-production, I'm sure there's probably a few more voice performances he recorded. And so like, so we probably haven't seen the last of Paul Rubens in media yet, but one day we're going to see something advertised as the last appearance of Paul Rubens within two years. And that's, that's kind of that bittersweet thing of like when a film and television actor passes, you're going to be reminded of the, of of their passing all over again when their last their last bit of work emerges. Yeah, it's probably going to be something strange. Right. I'm hoping we get some sort of TV special remembering him or something like a sort of more formal thing with a, a lot of people sharing memories and kind of clips. That would be sort of a nice little thing. Nice thing to see. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yep. You know, those rarely happen. I feel like in I. Like the 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 Jim Henson uh, tribute special that mm. the Muppets did, with, like the uh, uh, about yes. a few months after he passed, was like the last really big, big one. And I think the only other time I've seen anything approaching that is when a Tonight Show host died, when Jack Parr died, when Steve Allen died, and when Johnny Carson died. They did these huge uh, late night tributes to him on the Tonight Show uh, to them on the Tonight Show. But I'm not sure I've ever seen a tribute show, at least not on network television, outside of those two examples in my lifetime. I feel like these days the best you can hope for is a, you know, a crappy fucking Oscar shout out during the in memoriam. Oh, oh, you know what? Yeah. I'm going to say it now. Paul Rubens is going to get snubbed in the Oscars in memoriam. You think yep. they snubbed Gilbert He's Godfrey. exactly the type of person. They, if, yeah. they, if they will leave out Fred fucking Willard, they will leave yes. out Paul Rubin. Yeah, big time. Yeah, that's fucked up. I forgot about that. I don't right. want to be right. I want to be proved wrong, but oh, he's not totally. going to be in the immemorium. But now, that's I the think thing we call. just know the immemorium routine all too well. Right. So, I mean, yeah, Paul Rubin has done so much. Please, uh, there, there's no lack of stuff. 
to uh, to watch him in. I mean, just look at his his IMDb credits. It's really quite um, quite astonishing. Oh, this one is is sort of a weird one. So for the video game Call of Duty Infinite Warfare, in the zombie mode, it takes place at an amusement park, and um, Paul Rubens does the voice of the DJ. And it's sort of like the last sort of thing you would expect him to be in, but it's a um, again an original character, but sort of um, it's definitely going for the '80s vibe with all the neon and everything. So interesting. Yep. Um, all right. So uh, yeah, Paul Rubens, uh, you are sorely missed, and uh, yeah, I think his his legacy will be um, known for for years to come. Um, you can. Um, feels tacky to plug stuff now so uh yeah. Yeah, this next week uh we'll be doing the uh show as normal um talking about the mission impossible movies oh so, yeah uh, so i'm matt it was thrasher and i am alex saying scream real loud <laughs>